right, here we are. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you for joining us here once again at Red Eyes TV. It's good to be back with you. I'm Henrik. If you're new, check out, of course, our websites, redeyes.tv and redeyesmembers.com. But we've got to a number of channels as well. Hope you're all doing well out there today. I have another great interview here lined up for you guys. We're going to enjoy uh, this one. We have Raw Egg Nationalist with us. He is the uh, star, if you remember, uh, from the uh, recent Tucker Carlson documentary, The End of Men, that ran on Fox Nation. Obviously, this was before, you know, Tucker fired when we were still on the network. We might talk about that later, too. We'll see. Uh, but anyway, Roy Ignatius is the author of multiple books on health and fitness uh, and a figurehead in the raw egg nationalism movement. His latest book, The Eggs Benedict Option, is the ultimate guide to the Great Reset plan for food. Definitely something I want to talk about here today and how we can resist it and usher in a new and instead pro-human future. He's also behind Man's World magazine, and we'll talk more uh, about that later on in the show. Mr. Roy Egg, thank you for joining us. Good to see you. Uh, it's an absolute pleasure, Henrik. It's really nice to talk to you. Fantastic. I'm very glad to have you. Thank you for Dan Lyman, by the way, who uh, connected us here. I appreciate that. So shout out to Dan if he's watching. <laughs> All right. Tell us, uh, Roy Egg, Roy Egg Nationalism, tell us about the, the name, how, do you, how you came up with it. Well, I didn't actually come up with it. So it was a hashtag that was circulating on Twitter round about the beginning of 2020. Um, I was a lurker at that point, actually. I'd been lurking on Twitter for a little while, following people like Bronze Age Pervert, um, having a good chuckle at their tweets, but not really getting particularly, um, not really being particularly active. But then I saw this uh, hashtag, Roy Egg Nationalism, and people were talking about... Uh, slonking which is the technical term uh for consuming raw eggs in large quantities and uh i got behind it i tried it myself i thought oh this sounds great and um i i it had an immediate effect i thought wow this is this is incredible uh i mean i've been in i've been in fitness for a long time i've always been in good shape i've always been a sportsman and all that sort of stuff and i was a martial artist but um the raw egg slonking really seemed to take my to take my gains to the next level and uh so i just i got behind that and i i rebranded myself as the raw egg nationalist not really thinking very much of it just that uh you know i sort of wanted to represent raw egg nationalism and then well everything just started to go a bit crazy in the summer of 2020 when i started uh, when i published my raw egg cookbook raw egg nationalism in theory and practice which started out just as a free pdf and then became a paperback and now it's a hardback uh, like a glo glossy coffee table cookbook. Nice. So, um, yeah, that's how that that's the that's the origin story of Roeg nationalism. It's hum humble origins, but it's really <laughs> developed into something of a phenomenon now. Actually, it has, it has, definitely has. So, uh, okay, f so fitness, you know, health, nutrition, food, these kinds of things. Now, was that you said that was your primary interest? What about the the adjacent topics to that that naturally follows? Because as soon as you're into these topics, especially in this day and age, you realize, wait a minute, uh, they're trying to control our food, they're trying to ruin our health, they're trying to make us weak and and limit essentially our nutrition. There's been a number of proposals throughout the years. I remember Codex Alimentarius was one of these uh, that were circulating. Organizations like the UN and stuff wanted to regulate, you know, supplements and, and various things, natural health foods and stuff like that. And so then you it kind of in, inevitably go in, you know, you, you become, become exposed to this world of like the establishment and the, those who are seeking to control us and stuff. Was that something you already were familiar with? Or was that something that came in the wake of being interested in, in health and nutrition and these things? I suppose it was it was definitely something I... 
I was aware of, but perhaps the extent to which the extent to which that is the case wasn't as apparent to me then as it is now. I mean, my book, The Eggs Benedict Option, which I wrote uh, in the summer of last year, almost a year ago, well, over a year ago now, it came out in July last year, so it's been out for a year. That book is about is about the history of food and social control and how the two are inextricably linked or, or have, have been certainly throughout history. So I start the book by discussing Plato's Republic. Now, there's a there's a very interesting, very short but, but short section of Plato's Republic at the beginning of book two, where Plato has Socrates and his companions, Glaucon and Adamantus, talk about the origins of society. And they, they sort of are talking hypothetically about how societies arise and, um, you know, you get a basic division of labor and all that sort of stuff. But then they get on to talking about diet and Plato's Socrates makes the suggestion that an ideal harmonious society in which you know everybody is happy and there's no there's no strife anything like that um would be a society of vegetarians that you would actually have you would have to as a you know the rule of the society you would have deliberately to prevent the ordinary people of society from eating meat and that actually if they did eat meat what would then happen is that they he says something like their passions would become inflamed and they would want more. And then what you would have to do is you would have to have a much more complex society in which there were police and uh, you had an army and you had more territory and all sorts of stuff like that. So it's a very, very ancient. What I'm trying to get at with that when I make that made that the preface of the book is that it's actually a very, very ancient idea that you can change the way a society you can change what a society is and how the people in it behave by altering its diet. Um, and, you know, that that the idea that actually maybe, you know, uh, a vegetarian diet is most suitable for a harmonious society is one that resonates now, right? Because yeah. Oh, yeah. that's what's being promoted is plant-based diets. You know, we, we have to... We have to have a. We have to change our diets fundamentally. We have to abandon animal products, and we have to eat uh, a plant-based diet, uh, plant proteins, soy, things like that, and maybe alternative proteins like farmed insects and uh, plant-based meats, and maybe some lab-grown meat too. But fundamentally, what we need to do is we need to get away from eating the animal foods that our ancestors have eaten since time immemorial. And what, I, what I'm saying in the book is that actually this plan, this food transformation is the basis of a radical social transformation, which we, you know, we call the Great Reset and which its architects call the Great Reset. So I think you, you can't understand what is going on today, this sort of globalist plan for social transformation without understanding the food supply and what the globalists want to do to it. Yep, that's right. Yeah, I remember uh, first when I heard the the term the Great Reset, I realized it was a multi you know pronged release, if you will. At the same time, it was actually well now it's King Charles, but it was Prince Charles at the time uh, that released a video on the, the the royal family. I think the YouTube channel is called or something like that, which kind of launched the Great Reset term. And then it was either the literally the same day or the day after something like that. It was it was Klaus Schwab. Uh, talking about it at the World Economic Forum, and I think they did a co-joint press conference or something like that. I yeah, forget exactly. Did. 
uh, was quite uh, was quite <laughs> enlightening that it was so. I mean, it's always been kind of an open conspiracy, to be honest. But this was like a, a slap in the face with the whole thing. Uh, and it was during the, it was like first year of COVID or something, I believe, right? Wasn't it? Yes, it was. So that was, I mean, I talk, I talk about this in the book. This, this was the World Economic Forum virtual summit at Davos in 2020. So that's right. Yeah. Barely, barely a couple of months after the beginning of the pandemic, then you have world leaders, Prince Charles, Klaus Schwab all saying, I mean, they all attended virtually. So it's, you know, it was like Zoom, uh, Zoom, Zoom calls, but um, they all said, using exactly the same language, same terminology. We need a fund fundamental transformation of society. We need a great reset. We need to build back better. The pandemic is showing us that, you know, the, the previous uh, system was totally unsustainable and we have, to, we have to have a total change in everything we do, the way we eat, the way we live, the way we work, et cetera, et cetera. So, I mean, one of the themes of the book is that, look, this isn't a conspiracy theory all this talk about the great reset it's totally in the open i'm i'm and throughout i mean the book is the book is properly sourced with references so i'm i'm not um you know i'm not working on hearsay i'm work or or rumor or anything like that or or wild inference it's um it's actually from published documents that have been that are out there that you can look up if you want and you know you can go on youtube and you can watch them saying it or you can read them saying it on the website or whatever i mean they delete stuff from the website occasionally which is interesting and they deleted um they deleted the uh welcome to 2030 you know the very yep. famous they deleted that but that's still up on forbes so you can still read that or you can go on wayback machine and, and find it but um they do have a habit of trying to cover their tracks when they when they get very negative publicity as they yeah. did with the welcome to 2030 thing but yeah it's all out there it's not a conspiracy theory at all no no of course not yeah that's right and it was uh i think it was a danish she danish i just looked at this Ida Auken. she had actually written yes uh back in what was it 2018 or something like that and interesting even the picture they used on the world economic forum was a picture of gothenburg you know close to where i grew up and stuff like that they were using for that but <laughs> it was like you'll own nothing you'll be happy and You'll have no privacy, I think she had added, but I think that was a, yes. a step too far for the, you know, the famous tweet from the uh, WF later on. Well, well, what they did as well was she ended up, um, she ended up issuing a disclaimer that was then added to the article. So uh, there was this disclaimer at the beginning that said, "Oh, this is just, uh, this is just my, this is my sort of fantasy of the future. This isn't, I'm not, this isn't <laughs> what the future is going to be like. This is just me spitballing some ideas about." Uh, you know what the future could be like in in one particular in one particular universe but then they just decided to delete it when um <laughs> you know, so many people had been were sort of outraged and were saying that it was just appalling and and horrendously dystopian which of course it is it is and then coincidentally of course they're all working in that direction, so it's nothing to do, <laughs> nothing to do with anything. It's just that's just a proposal, but we're all trying to enforce those kinds of policies, whether it's in business or government, infiltrating you know uh, cabinets, like Klaus Schwab, Schwab famously said uh, in one of the presentations. Man, there's, there's so many gold golden clips that we've played over the years in the last couple of years, you know, of them just admitting right in the open. And it's almost, and I think you raised this point um, in another interview I heard too, but it, it's almost like it's a cartoonish. version version of like a globalist you know what i mean it's almost you, one mm -hmm. one wonders is it a 
Is it a distraction? But then one realizes, no, they do have sway. They do have a tremendous amount of influence and power. And a lot of the big corporations and even countries, they, for some reason, they go to these NGOs and these groups, they go to these institutions and they follow suit. They do want to cooperate with them and they listen to them in many cases as well. I mean, right now, I think we're overseeing, they're overseeing essentially an overhaul of the financial system as as well, which I think is going to come at some point uh, where they're seeking to re you know remake capitalism. So, as they say, Klaus just talked about stakeholder capitalism and they want to take it in a completely kind of different uh, uh, direction. So this is, they are not... Uh, you know, just, uh, you know, having a couple of proposals over on the sidelines here. They're they're at the dead center of of power uh, in most of the West, at least. Well, what what I think is interesting about Klaus Schwab is that he he is in many respects a caricature. And I think he, I do think he plays it up. I mean, there's that famous picture of him wearing that sort of strange kind of Emperor Palpatine costume, if you remember. Yeah. Um, I think I think that he I think that he definitely plays up that role and I think in certain respects what that does is that gets people to think that he is basically emperor palpatine uh and that he's much much more powerful than he is I think he's a confidence man but that doesn't but that doesn't mean that any of this stuff is any less real what I think is that um it is a kind of distraction and it makes people focus on him rather than on the way that power is actually working in this globalized system. Right. So, you know, people think, oh, if we could just get rid of the World Economic Forum and get rid of Klaus Schwab, none of the the Great Reset wouldn't happen. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I don't think that that's the case at all. I don't think that's the case at all. Um, you know, like, oh, oh if, if somebody, you know, if, if Klaus Schwab had a heart attack, then you know, the Great Reset wouldn't happen or something. Right, it's, right. It, exactly. it, is, it isn't like that. I mean, yeah. Our, 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 our world leaders, uh, you know, uh, philanthropists, um, captains of industry, celebrities, politicians, members of royalty, you know, this is a, they are all part of a globalized globalist elite. And what you actually need is you need, you actually need real political change. You do need someone like Donald Trump for all his faults. I mean, the reaction that he elicited from his opponents from the globalist class was one of was one of basically of sheer terror and panic and they you know they spent four plus years well they've spent four plus years now doing their best to destroy him seven years however long it is and um uh and they are doing their absolute best to ensure that he won't be able to run in 2024 and i think that that is that that shows us the way to um, actually to fight this you know it's not about um it's not about for instance what jordan peterson is doing which is setting up a counter wef i don't know if you've heard about yeah this. i have yeah you know it's like oh what what we need to do is we need to challenge the world economic forum narrative you know we can beat them with better ideas or something like and that that's just to, to me then that just seems like um he's just pissing in the wind you know it's it's that's that's not what we need to do most people are horrified by the ideas by the ideas that you'd find in welcome to 2030 or uh, you know any any one of any other um you know world economic forum think pieces and all of this kind of um, rhetoric you don't need really to convince most people what you need is you need to give them some political representation that isn't compromised yes exactly and uh, <clears throat> you know klaus Swab is like, you know, he's kind of a, he's a PR man, obviously. 
Um, and he's he's a guy who, uh, as you said, uh, even if he disappears, it, it wouldn't really matter to the bigger thing because all of these powerful institutions and and you know corporations now, um, some corporations have more power than nations now, obviously. But what's curious to me is why why they all agreed to sign up to it. There's no requirement. They don't have to do it. It's kind of like the ESGs or whether it's the diversity, inclusion, equity and things like that. And there are there are a couple of people recently, you know, they talked about things like the uh, corporate equality index run by the human rights campaign and things like that. There, there are beginning now kind of almost social credit scores for corporations and things like this. Uh, and a lot of people want to signal and stuff like that. But as we've seen over the last few, I mean, six months or so, maybe that's not always conducive to actually, you know, success when it comes to, you know, uh, uh, making more money and things like that. We've seen Bud Light. There's finally begin beginning some pushback against some of these policies, and it might not be, you know, a, a, a perfect uh, pushback. It might, might not be ideal, and it's not like, again, as you said, that doesn't really make. Oh, people stop buying Bud Light. Uh, you know, all the problems are not going to go away. But it's at least it's an. It's a little bit of a tiny beginning of a pushback that they realize they can't just, you know, indiscriminately get away with all of this and sign up to some of this madness. But what, what do you think? Uh, I mean, why do they? Why do? Why do they, anybody sign on to these things? Is there is there somebody forcing them? Do they realize that they just have to do this? Is it is it just simple? Simply down to virtue signaling, and they want to do, uh, you know, what, uh, what what looks good in other people's eyes? What do you think it's about? I'm not I'm not entirely sure. I think it's probably a lot of different things happening at once. I think there are a lot of different factors going into this. Um but it is it is definitely very interesting. It is very revealing that um you know these these companies that that go woke don't necessarily go broke. Um and I think that that is that that is quite eye-opening really because what you realize in many cases is that actually these companies don't really don't actually really even need to sell their products anymore. Something it's fundamental true. has something fundamental has happened to the way that capitalism works. That actually, a, a company can abandon its constituencies, its traditional, you know, consumer bases, and essentially give them the middle finger, and yet still remain enormously powerful. Uh, still have access to vast amounts of money. Um, and some of that, a large part of that is to do with, or maybe all of that is to do with these ESGs, you know, which have to do with the way that um, that financing is given out now by these big corporations, by these big hedge funds, whatever they are, whatever you'd call them, asset managers like BlackRock, you know, where they're, they're just, um, they're totally, they're forcing an agenda as Larry, as um is it Larry Fink? No, it's not. Larry yeah, Fink. no, Larry Fink. That's right. Yeah, yeah, Larry Fink. As Larry Fink said, you know, we are we are in the business of changing people's behavior, and um, forcing people's behavior. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's yeah. I think it's it's a complicated story. I mean, in many ways, I think it's probably there are probably some analogies with uh, you know what what what's generally called the long march through the institutions, the the sort of cultural Marxist takeover of institutions beginning in the in the 1920s and the 1930s when thinkers like well, Antonio Gramsci you know realized that actually they weren't going to be able to cause a revolution in the manner described by Marx in you know in his um in his works what they were going to have to do was take over institutions and subvert them from the inside in a gradual process in order to um effect a kind of slower revolution and i think that there's obviously been 
there's obviously been something like that taking place for some time in in the world of capital, not just in the universities um, and the public institutions, the bureaucracies and um, uh, stuff like that. I think something something fundamental has definitely changed in the world of capitalism and and the sort of traditional focus on just selling products to consumers actually that doesn't that doesn't explain the behavior of corporations anymore it's a big puzzle and it would be interesting for somebody to to provide a, a really compelling a really detailed explanation of how and why that has happened yeah it's true it's uh, definitely like there's been some agreements behind uh, locked doors uh, <laughs> in, in dark lit rooms you know with the cigar smoke in them where they're like yep this is the direction i i think it's I think they, on some level, a lot of the people at the establishment, the elite, whatever you want to call them, have, have kind of also realized where this is going, both demographically and maybe because they're behind some of that. But obviously, at least in the West, we're knowing that there's birth, um, you know, rate decline. And then they've tried to make up for that, you know, with immigration. They open the borders. They think we can keep this afloat a little bit more. They need the headcount. They need more bodies, essentially, and the kind of the really the debt-based economic system and the models we've had, they want to just kind of keep continuing and running that. Mm. And at some point, I think they've realized that is not going to work anymore. Even countries that are modernizing are experiencing the same things that we have in the West. They're having fewer and fewer children. And in fact, in some of the third world countries and stuff, it's even happening faster than it was happening in the West. We might actually plateau demographically at some point, but there seems to be a super uh, quick decline for you know, second and third world countries in some cases, as soon as they modernize and urbanize. But anyway, I think they, they've realized this is not going to work anymore. We have to overall overhaul the whole thing. I think this ultimately is down to an insurance policy of sorts for them. They want to be able to continue to live the way they live now, but they've realized this is I impossible uh, to bring in every single person on the earth into this kind of you know Western style system and stuff like that. So I think they've opted for us to have bugs, for us to get in the pods, for us to put on the VR headset while they have you know their swimming pools on their yachts, uh, eating the finest food and things like that. What do you what do you uh, what do you think they're up to here? Oh, I definitely I definitely think that that is how it will work out if they get their way. Certainly, and one of the things, one of the big. Um, one of the big things I talk about in the Eggs Benedict option is the original agricultural revolution that took place, let's say, circa ten to twelve thousand years ago in the Near East, and that was the that was the transformation that saw the emergence of actual fixed field farming for the first time, and then uh, on top of that, the emergence of the first states, so the early sort of city states of of Mesopotamia, Ur, Uruk, Lagash. Um, and other other sort of small city states like that. That process is, in many ways, I think. Well, what I say in, in the in the book is that actually it's the original Great Reset. And what you see with the agricultural revolution is masses and masses of ordinary people, people who were formerly hunter gatherers, herded into these big cities or city states to become agriculturalists. And then you have a very, very, and all they're eating basically is grains. And so they're incredibly malnourished. They're unhealthy. They die young. They're very susceptible to infectious diseases, to epidemics, which which sort of uh, ravage, ravage the Near East. Um, but what you have on top of that then is you have a very, very small elite 
uh, who have basically who are basically the ones who've shepherded all the people into these cities, and they still continue to live the kind of lives uh, lives full of hunting and feasting, and you know they have access to the the kind of finest food, whereas the the peasantry, as it were, are all eating grain slop. And I think that that's actually, in many respects, uh, an analogy for what is going to happen. Uh, in the future, I think you know, with a with a world population of ten billion people eating a plant based diet, of course the elites, of course the elites are still going to be eating meat. There's no question about that. They're not going to give up eating meat. I mean, they they will have their they will have their secret farms or their hidden you know their hidden places where there are still mangalitsa pigs and and you know the finest Aberdeen Angus beef, and they'll still be eating wonderful wild seafood if you know if there are still if there are still fish in the sea by that time um yeah i think it's i think that, that is definitely that is definitely the way that it will go down because that is the way that it has always gone down in history that is what generally happens you have a narrow elite um uh exploiting these transformations off the back of off the back of a, a large you know mass of 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 people a large populace but yeah i mean how how they will do it i don't know i mean i i've i've written recently about this thing called well climate migration they're calling it climate yeah. migration right where yeah. they're talking about so there's this insane book that i read it's called um nomad century by this woman called gaia vince who is like a, she's like a female noah yuval harari basically She's like a science popularizer, and I wrote a I wrote a review of this book for the American Mind, called "The Day After the Day After Tomorrow." But um, basically, what she says in the book is that uh, catastrophic climate change now is inevitable. We can't. There's nothing that we can do now to uh, avert catastrophic climate change. What that means is that the most populous the most populous areas of the planet. Uh, which are around the equator, Africa, you know, Asia, the Middle East, uh, Latin America, they're basically going to become uninhabitable by the end of the century, like totally uninhabitable. If you live there, you'll die. So what will what will happen is that billions of people will be at threat from, you know, existential threat from climate change. So we have a choice. We can either invite all of the people who live in the global south to come to the global north now in an orderly manner so that so that we can sort of minimize the minimize the suffering or we can deal with it in 30 years time when they'll just be coming all at once and we'll be totally overwhelmed so she's making the and she makes an inter, she makes she actually makes an economic case for why this will be beneficial as well as a moral case for why it will be beneficial and she talks about the fact that it will be you know nobody in the future will be white and all that sort of stuff and she she makes some very Jeez. sort of um she makes some very very knowing kind of comments she knows who <laughs> she she knows who she's prodding she really does right it's it's quite a it's a, quite a revealing book but but this is now the the narrative right that catastrophic climate change is going to mean that billions of people have to come to the west not not millions but billions and um al gore was talking about it at the world economic forum summit in in uh, uh at the beginning of the year and uh yeah it's it's a it's a narrative that is gaining that is actually gaining uh you know sort of traction gaining, um 
yeah, it's gaining yeah. traction, and and it's it's really sort of start. You're hearing politicians talking about it now. Yeah, William ha- William Hague, uh, conservative, uh, who was the leader of the Conservative Party uh, in the early two thousands, um, uh, a conservative apparently, wrote a piece a couple of weeks ago, I think, for the Daily Telegraph, a British paper, where he was saying, "Look, this is the age of migration." You're just going to have to get used to it. We are going to have to accept millions and millions of people, uh, and and that's it. Mm. Uh, there's no there's no choice, and that is how that is how it is going to be presented. Is we have no choice, but that I think increasingly the idea that um, you know the the entire population of the global south will have to come to the global north to the developed world. I think that is how they're going to do the great reset if they do it. Hmm. that is that is the justification and in the book uh nomad century then she says look we won't be able to rely on on nation states we can't have traditional political structures to deal with this we will need a global government and yeah, her, gonna... her book has her book has been promoted by the world economic forum she's been on their podcast i mean she's written for them since sort of 2015 so she's very definitely affiliated with them and i think that that is the narrative that we should we should be watching now yeah uh, i've i've seen this too i've heard heard about it they are talking about um it's always this jedi mind trick that it's it's inevitable right it, it doesn't matter how it's 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 bound to happen there's nothing you can do about it so the only thing we have to do is to try to make it as you said as as orderly as possible this is why they you know even the un sustainable development goals they talk about regular and orderly migration right the, the in fact even 10 at least 10 out of the 17 goals uh, of these sustainable development goals contain targets and indicators that are directly relevant to migration and so this has been one of the you know in in the their books in the game plan for for quite a while here it is right here right reduce inequality mm. they say facilitate orderly safe regular and responsible migration and mobility of people including through uh through the implementation of planned and well-managed migration policy so it might be this that okay they might not like that we're seeing you know thousands and thousands of people pouring over the border and it's true that that is obviously creating kind of a, a right-wing nationalistic response as well people don't like to see this so they're trying to find a way of still doing this but not have any of the effects of doing it which is impossible this is this is totally insane uh but somehow they got hubris they think they're going to pull this off and do it but no this is this is uh, the climate thing is interesting because you know right now as we speak number of articles just a couple of examples here they talk about the incredible yeah. heat right now it's oh my god the earth is being scorched um nearly at the limit for human survival the washington post had <laughs> yeah reuters europe battles heat and fire sweltering temperatures scorch china and the us one more heat wave in europe could be poised to set a new temperature record in italy uh and this is how they do it they, they always scare us into submission and try to th- if you don't go along with us, if you don't do what we tell you to do if you don't bow down you're all going to die right that's kind of it's simple mm. but it in many regards it, it works right it's simple but it works yeah yeah well of course it does fear is a uh, fear is uh well as as um frank herbert writes in june right fear is the mind killer fear yeah. makes yeah. people <laughs> fear makes people lose their minds you know yeah. and if you can make people terrified the world is ending 
the world is ending you know you're you're gonna you're gonna be eat swallowed up in an in, enormous conflagration um then people will people will look for a savior and um and people and people anyway are so programmed um to be reliant now and this is something that i talk about with regard to food and fitness and whatever you know, pe people are reliant on other people for their own or, or particularly institutions for their well-being you know oh i oh you know I, I want to lose weight i've got to have a jab i've got to take uh, you know i've got a pharmaceutical company has to make a pharmaceutical product for me to be able to lose weight you know, I, I you know you could pile up instances of 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 the ways that people are just totally totally dependent in that regard. But buried at the end of, or not buried, but at the end of that um, article that I wrote for the American Mind, then I talk about the fact that they have already established legal precedents for climate migration. So mm -hmm. there was a there was a ruling at the UN, I think it was last year, maybe the year before, where um, the UN the un um basically decided that the un human rights council i think it was decided that it is um that there is a there's a legal basis basically for climate migration so if somebody if somebody is fleeing their country because of climate change you can't send them back basically so they're definitely they're definitely they're definitely getting ready for this i mean things like that that is the that is the uh the prelude, I think, to the big, to what really, you know, what they're really going to unleash maybe in maybe in five or ten years' time. I mean, it's already happening now. There's already yeah. a migrant crisis in Europe. Yeah. But, it, 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 you know, we're, we're talking tens of millions or maybe even hundreds of millions of people, in which case that's going to make the, you know, the 2015 migrant crisis look like a day at the park. Yeah. Was it uh, John Kerry? This is also one of the big uh, globalist conferences recently. Uh, you know, what about what about uh, tens of millions or hundreds of millions of people pouring over, you know, from sub-Saharan Africa into Europe mm. because of climate? And it's almost like I felt they're also using it as a kind of an extortion, right? Do what we say yeah. in terms of on the climate front or you'll be flooded by, you know, <laughs> hundreds of millions of people. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, I think I think there's a threat in a lot of a lot of um, what our our rulers and would be rulers have to say. You know, it's like you, you do as we say, and and you'll you'll be all right. You'll get to keep your stuff. You know, you'll be right. You'll be okay. You know, we'll protect you. But if you don't, I mean, look, that was that was that was the rhetoric throughout the pandemic, right? It was like, yeah, you stay you stay in your house, you wear your mask, you come out of your house and line up to get your jab, or people are going to die. We're going to have a what was it? Biden said a dark winter. Yes, a winter of um. Yep whatever it was a winter of death, winter of and death. suffering and yeah. you know it's um people people respond to that i mean when you are when you are trapped in your home and you're being bombarded every time you turn on the television or the internet you're being bombarded with propaganda about about um you know the sort of people dying in the streets and and uh, dying everywhere and you know if you leave your house then you're at risk and blah 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 then people are going people are going to respond to that and of course, as it as it turned out, then actually, government psychological warfare units and and uh, psychological warfare units of the military in Canada and in the UK and probably also in the US, I'm sure, were involved in coordinating the uh, messaging in fighting disinfo, which is you know this phrase that they love to use, fighting disinfo on social media, 
Um, it was a very, very well-coordinated, well, almost military campaign, I suppose. I mean, it was yeah. it was a war. It was a war that was waged on, on us. a psychological war that was yeah that was waged on ordinary citizens, and it and it worked yeah. for the most part. Yep. Yeah, that's why I think it's too good for them to let up. They're gonna. It's gonna be something else tomorrow, or you know, a new version of this. But even the the, the burn thing, I just want to show that real quick because it said they've talked about wildfires and stuff, and I saw this was kind of interesting uh, note on this. Um, Bjorn Lumbori, I think it is, uh, on Twitter said, "Stop the panic. The world is burning less, not more, because humans adapt to and suppress fire. Likely, even less will burn in the future. Climate is a problem because likely." Even less burn without temp rise. It's a bit kind of oddly written here, but uh, the, the point remains uh, that the number of wildfires have gone down. Isn't it, isn't it always the same with this? You look at the stat. Oh, no, it's actually going down. But the fear and the hype is, is you know, driving up. So it feels like it's more. I mean, look at the, the charts now of, of the temperatures. It's not even dark red now. It's going into black, almost purple. You know what I mean? It's just <laughs> total rot, like death, you know. Uh, they, they know what well, they're they doing. They do. They they understand at a very basic level um, the importance of symbolism and, and messaging and just something, yes, like you say, changing the colors on a weather forecast is enough to make people at an unconscious level and probably on a conscious level too think, God, God, things are getting really bad. I mean, you know, it, it's July here. Well, it's July where you are too, but it's, you know it's July, it's July. It's July, and I'm and it's been raining for the last week here. I mean, it's right. no yep. sign of no sign of record heat waves here. I mean, I wish there bloody was because I'd like to I'd like <laughs> to go swimming. I'd like to go swimming in the sea, but uh, yeah, they they know they know exactly what they're doing. They they are masters of manipulation. Yeah, and and the thing is that they know now that crises. The crisis is the way to do it, right? The crisis yeah. is the way to create the state of exception where they can they can change the law, they can change they can change fundamentally the way that we live. You know, I mean, there was no there was no precedent whatsoever. There were no legal precedents for what was done during the pandemic, but because of the crisis, then they were able to do it, and people actually didn't didn't question until it was too late, until it had been done. I mean, there was a when Boris Johnson in this country um, initiated the first lockdown, it was illegal. I mean, there's actually been like proper legal analysis of it. It was illegal, but because the the police decided or the police were in agreement, then it was enforced, even yeah. though it was illegal. Yeah. And then what they did was, I think it was maybe a week or however many days later, they passed a law that retroactively made it legal. <laughs> Yeah, Brilliant. yeah, that, that that is that is actually what happened. But um, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's 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 crises. Crises. I think we we are going to be in a perpetual state of crisis. That is what yes. they will use. The, that's 100%. what they will use the the climate crisis for. It's a planetary it's a planetary crisis. It's not a crisis in any particular country. You can't get away from it. You know, it's it's a. Uh, it justifies their global governance system. You know what I mean? We absolutely. must we must have it. We have no option. <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it it is that simple. I think. I think yeah. that climate change is fundamentally being used to force social and economic transfer uh, transformation on a global level. Yeah. And then of course, then you do have the crazy things, right? The war on carbon right now. You have huge. Uh, investments going into things such as carbon capture. Bill Gates is just one of the names behind this. There's many others. They've done spearheading 
uh, programs in Iceland. Uh, they are building them in the U.S. I think other countries are involved in this right now as well. They're basically going to suck in air, uh, and these big plants essentially are going to capture the carbon, and they're, they're going to turn it into stone. However, the process happens, I'm, I'm not exactly sure, uh, but then they're going to bury it underground, right? And, and just think of, you know, we talked about food and control of food and things like that. I ran a, a clip just the other day on one of our shows from AGA's, one of the big uh, corporations, and they're doing a promotional video about how they're using carbon carbon dioxide. Obviously, and this is you know no shitums here, but you know many people don't think of this. They're using carbon dioxide in these greenhouses that they have to increase yield. You know what I mean? And it it, it keeps yeah. things cleaner, it keeps parasites. It was all these you know positive beneficial things, and then you begin thinking. You know, you put together. Okay, they're decommissioning farms, like in the Netherlands, in Ireland. They're kill killing yeah. cattle now. They're, you know, it, the most insane stuff where they're putting plastic bags on top of cows to capture their farts. They're putting masks on the cows <laughs> to filter the air to capture the methane, you know, their burps essentially. Mm. And and the most absurd, crazy stuff right now. But but you, you put all these t things together, and the between the war on carbon, if you realize. We, if they succeed in this, we might be in for the the, the biggest, uh, you know, starvation catastrophe that we've ever seen. This is total madness. When I when I look at this, uh, what what do you see when you when you <laughs> look at what they're doing? Yeah, I mean, it, it looks like I mean, it looks like madness to me. And I I don't think that we really know what's going to happen. I don't I I don't think they certainly don't know what's going to happen because we've never done anything like this before. This is totally unprecedented. And I mean, reducing reducing carbon in the in the atmosphere on a planetary scale is is a recipe for disaster. Uh, I mean, it's happened before in the past. It happened. Well, they reckon that the that the little ice age that took place in the sort of early modern period, 16th, 17th century, when there was a small ice age in Europe, that that was directly the result of the uh, of the discovery of the Americas, basically, and the uh, destruction of the of the uh, Amerindian populations in mm -hmm. the Americas, because mm -hmm. you know they were. It actually turns out that the that the supposedly pristine environments of North America, the plains and the forests and all that, were actually very very closely managed by the Native uh, Americans. So they were burning they were burning um, land all the time. To encourage certain types of plants rather than others, and to and to um, you know, it, it, they burned land to, to do with hunting. They they they, they burned large swathes of land basically. And what happened was, when millions and millions of them then died off from European diseases, all that burning stopped taking place. And so, actually, what happened is that the carbon in the atmosphere then decreased. And well, what happened? You you got a little ice age. And there, are, there's there's similar thinking about about the conquest of Genghis Khan as well. You know that he killed so many so many millions of people and yeah. so reduced the um, production of carbon dioxide that actually it had it had uh, effects on the planetary climate. So yeah, I mean I don't I don't know what what effect it's going to have, but it certainly could be catastrophic. And you've got to remember that they're not only talking about capturing carbon. This is something else that i've talked about they're, they're talking about terraforming essentially or um yeah. geo geoengineering you know where they're going to do things like uh release silicon dioxide uh or sulfur dioxide into the atmosphere to reflect more sunlight um 
so that the so that the earth is so that the earth is cooler and there are private companies doing this now i mean i wrote a piece again for american mind about it uh there's a company called make sunsets which has been releasing uh weather balloons full of sulfur dioxide and you can actually buy what they call carbon i think they call them cooling credits that's what they call them cooling credits so you can pay them it's a startup run out of california you can pay them and uh you can pay for the payload of a sulfur dioxide balloon to reduce the global temperature by you know whatever millionth of a fraction of a degree and and you're going to see you're going to see much more of this i mean the us yeah. government has talked the us government has talked about it as a strategy it's been investigated by the national academy of sciences or whoever um it's been talked at, it's been talked about at the un um the world economic forum talks about it all the time they're constantly posting think pieces about geoengineering and you know putting a giant um a giant mirror between the earth and the sun so that it will reflect back you know a significant proportion of of solar radiation and all that kind of stuff so you've got all that kind of stuff going on as well which has the potential for for disaster too i mean yeah part of part of me thinks that they do a lot of this just because they have to create new places for money to go i mean fun, fundamentally then i think that the world economic i mean i'm i'm no i'm no economist but fundamentally then i i do think it's probably it's probably certain that that there's big trouble in store for the global economy maybe soon and i think yeah. that what they're doing what they're doing in part with all of these carbon credits and decarbonization and all that kind of stuff is they're creating new channels for money to flow through because you know they have to they have to keep the money the money has to go somewhere they have to find ways to to you know to to continue the flow of money um because maybe you know c consumerism is is not going to is not going to provide the um the sort of flow of money that it once did uh, I, I think it, i think it's very complicated i think it's very very complicated but there's there's no question in my i mean obviously people believe in decarbonization you know you have most people are zealots or you know most people who really believe in it actually genuinely are zealots i think but there are I think there are probably other people who just see it for the scam that it is, but are, are, are quite willing to uh, to go along with it because they can make money. I mean, it, it should be it should be obvious to any really intelligent, informed person that wind turbines are a scam, for right. instance. Yeah, you know. But, yeah, but we keep building them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Of course. Yeah. I mean, environmentally, it's horrible. You can't even recycle them. There's these huge dumps now with just parts of of. Uh, uh, wind turbines lying around and <laughs> we don't even know what to do with it. But one thing I want to squeeze in real quick is this. I think this is what uh, King Charles, at the time Prince Charles, talked about. Uh, even Klaus Schwab, you know, overhauling of the capitalist system, get a base it on something new. It's interesting that happened. It's a couple of years old now. But the New York Stock Exchange uh, had launched a new asset class, which basically is based on nature itself and even the processes in nature. And I think it's also going to eventually be related to how, uh, you know, they're going to modify uh, processes in nature or utilize them or even patent them in some regards. There are obviously type of GMOs now where, okay, you can't patent a tomato, but you can change the genes in it slightly and then you can own it, you know, kind of thing. And then you can, mm. you can tell people that whether they, you know, grow it, eat it and so forth, you have to pay a, a license fee essentially for that for, uh, to, to those who own this new tomato, calling it something else. 
but they talked about this the the, the uh, a patch of land or water somewhere they try to make that this is an, has an intrinsic value in it and we have to tie the economy to it so anyway they're, they're spearheading and trying this out right now at the new york new york stock exchange and it's kind of crazy when you think about it because i think it will go it, it will it will eventually turn into this where nature itself will not become something that we are in and part of and we can get access to but it's going to be seen as a uh, you know money generator and so therefore we have to either improve it or you can't you know be in it you have to you have to have uh, you know the only certain little spots here and there that we can go into go into nature and things like that i i can see an endless uh you know slew of crazy things that they wheel out here in the coming years as we go up to 2030 to try to justify uh you know saving saving our lives you know and seeing themselves as the good guys as as they're doing this you know none of this might happen at all none of it might you know kind of come into fruition we might come you know we might head for some collapse or something before that we don't even know right but the point is they're trying and they're trying all these kinds of crazy ways and and at some point i think uh you're going to see an overhaul of the financial system and and you're going to see global currencies most likely central bank digital currencies being put in its yes. place and they're going to make the the switch per, when the crisis uh, you know have peaked so to speak they'll make the switch will be in this new system and they'll say look we look we saved you right you, we didn't have a, a horrible yep. co- collapse and uh you know we're the good guys here yeah, I think that's I think that's exactly what's going to happen. I think that the I think that the central bank digital currencies are a key tool of of control. I mean, you know, you can pro, you can they're talking about it already. You can program them. You can say you can only use this money to do so and so. You can only spend this money on food. You can only spend this money on heating. You can only spend this money on clothing or um you know, some other consumer good. Oh, you can't spend this money at all because you said something bad on Twitter. <laughs> Basically, yeah, it, it is. Yeah, I mean that is that is what is that is what is coming. We we are seeing, well, we we've seen it. We we've seen it in in China already. That kind of thing. That sort of system, a social credit score system. I think that that is that is what they're planning for the rest of us. But to go back to what you were saying about about genetically engineering and uh, food. Uh, products you know um that's a key that's a key part of the great reset is corporate ownership total corporate ownership of the food supply and you achieve that by uh by introducing new forms of technology like genetically uh, like genetic engineering so you create products that can be owned from top to bottom by corporations so you know, you can't, I say this uh, all the time, you can't patent an egg, but you can patent a plant-based egg. You can patent the process that goes into making a synthetic egg that's made from uh, soy protein and canola oil and various different um, texturizers and colorings and flavorings and artificial ingredients. You know, you can patent that product. And so if you say to people, you can't eat eggs anymore, but you can eat plant-based eggs, then what you've done is you've handed control over that particular food stuff to corporations to the corporations that make it and that's the same with lab grown meat you know this uh, which is uh, animal cells grown in vats that is a proprietary process so you know you can't patent cows but you can patent lab grown beef and this is just something that is that is um 
that is taking place at every level of society, but it's particularly noticeable in food because it's something it's something that we're not used to. I mean, what you will see is you will see the disappearance of the small farmer. That's one of yeah. the things that you will That's absolutely see. That's what's happening in Holland right now. They're yeah. getting rid of small the small farms or, or just the normal farms. Um, and what you will see is you're going to see a just a total corporate consolidation over over agriculture and food production and and they talk about they talk about it it's it, this isn't a conspiracy theory this is in the world economic forum's policy documents it's in the un policy documents it's and if it isn't explicitly spelled out it's implied because when you talk about feeding a global population of 10 billion a plant-based diet that's mainly made up of grains and legumes that are genetically modified, that is what you are saying because genetically modified um, products, genetically modified uh, plants are owned by corporations. Yes. You know, five or six corporations now own basically all the seeds on the planet. Uh, and companies like what was formerly Monsanto, but is now, I think, a part of Bayer, then there are all sorts of incredibly stringent conditions attached to using their genetically modified seeds. There have been various exposés of this from time to time, what people call the Monsanto mafia, basically. You sign you sign a detailed contract when you buy seeds from Monsanto. You're not allowed to give them to other people. You're not allowed to save them at the end of the year. Um so you have to go back to Monsanto to buy them again. Um, you have to use certain products on them. Uh, if if the seeds end up um, sort of getting blown away and and um, and sort of landing on someone else's land who isn't who isn't allowed to use them, then you can be they'll take you to court. And all, there's all sorts of shady stuff, and they have this sort of private police force that they send out to uh, to check that your your you know acting in uh, conformity that you're not breaking the the conditions of the contract so it, it is about it is fundamentally about corporate control uh it, it allows corporations a degree of control over their products that they that they previously didn't have and of course they want this of course they want it because it's more money for them it's more control yeah um and uh and yeah i mean that that is that is the future that is the future that they want and that's what i talk about at length in the in the eggs benedict option um and it and it's coming unless we do something about it, it, it it's true uh it, we're going to take a break here shortly and i want to uh, talk more about that in part two obviously what do we well, what, what, what do we do how do we respond to this and you know things like that we have to get there but uh it's it's vitally important to diagnose the problem and and kind of just have an overview of what it is that we're really faced with here as a motivator for, for us to get off our asses and do something about it, start organizing, getting together with friends and building community and networks and, uh, you know, basically you know, offering something uh, perpendicular. I, I prefer that even to parallel, to be honest, because parallel sounds like we're doing the same thing, but just off to the side. But something that, you know, is completely different. But anyway, um, so we got the Eggs Benedict option that's out right now. You can get it at Antelope Hill. You can get it, I believe, at Amazon, but get it from uh, yes. Antelope Hill. Uh, then you have, uh, we didn't talk about it much yet, but we can certainly talk, talk more about that, this in part two, too. Uh, Man's World, tell us about the uh, magazine you're uh, behind. Yes, yeah, Man's World is, um, is a magazine. It's in its 11th issue now. Uh, I started it in at the beginning of 2021. It's uh, 
imagine a imagine a playboy that wasn't paused it's kind of that's the kind of uh, the mission statement is to be to be what playboy perhaps once was and should be now um all the best writers on the right some famous less so, uh, others less so uh all sorts of kind of any anything that should be of uh that should be of issue to uh and an interest to a man today then we cover in on man's world um essays interviews uh style all sorts of stuff food fitness uh everything it's all in there it's uh th and there's nothing like it there's nothing like it on the market at the moment it's really a it's it's really something quite unique i think now do you have both digital and like a hard c a copy version or how, how is it uh, distributed so what we do is there's a website which you're on at the moment which you're showing people and um you can read individual articles from the magazine on the website or you can download the actual magazine it is it, you know it is like a digital magazine uh there's a paperback digest that i publish on amazon that has a selection of uh a selection of essays and pieces from them from each issue of the magazine uh you can download from Amazon, and then what we do at the end of the of each year is we publish an annual, which is like a hardback, um, almost well exactly like a Playboy annual, like Playboy used to publish at the end of each year, and it has a selection of some of the finest essays and and content from the year with exclusive stuff as well in this amazing hardback coffee table book that you can you know give to your dad or give to your uncle or someone and and secretly start sort of red pilling people. Um, so it's uh, but but we are working towards getting uh, the magazine itself out in magazine form soon. That will be happening soon. Nice. That will be on some selected selected uh, store shelves very soon. I think it's a real phenomenon. It's really taken off. I mean, I started it. I started. Well, it wasn't a joke when I started it, but I certainly didn't think that it would be. Um, so we've just got a Twitter account now. So it's we haven't really been um, using that Twitter account for long, but. Um, it's really growing now uh but yeah i started it just as a sort of just as an experiment really because i thought well wouldn't it be great if we had one place on the dissident right whatever you want to call it on the right where people could could post content like this and you know rather than just people writing on their stubs substack pages and for other you know just posting tweets and stuff uh couldn't we have a couldn't we have a publication that actually sort of had a, a soul and a and a kind of coherent message that could sort of um, could kind of uh, serve as a vehicle for all of us to work together in the same direction? Oh, absolutely! No, it's vitally important to have these kinds of publications, and and again, having uh, in this day and age, not not that it would happen with with your virtual uh, copy, but this is another thing that, that you know another layer of of, of worry. Basically, we have now. Uh, AI and things like that, they can actually change things on your screen in real time, like sentences, you know, they can normalize things. I mean, you, you know that they're reprinting certain works now, of course, like Royal Dolls books, they're they're yeah. adding, you know, PC terms in there and stuff. And that's one thing when you just like kind of reprint it and send it out or whatever. Okay, Grant, you can look for older copies or something like that, but when it's on screen, there's even plugins to browsers now where, where they take phrases or whatever and they you can instantaneously change in front of you or like, you know, I'm just waiting for the time when like Apple does this on, on an iPhone or an iPad or something like that. Oh, this is we yeah. don't like this term. We're going to change that right in front of your eyes. You won't even notice, but, you know, you won't see it. So that's why it's vital. That's what I'm saying that vital to have, uh, you know, kind of hardcover or things like that. So uh, as 
Mr. Roig said you have on uh, Antelope Hill actually uh, the uh, 2022 uh, annual man's uh, world annual uh, available if you want to uh, check out that I highly encourage that we got to mention you of course have your Twitter account uh, baby gravy nine uh, That's me. If, if you want to follow Raw Egg Nationalist there. Uh, otherwise, check out the books, of course. Uh, we're going to keep talking more about this. We'll have links down below, by the way, too. A few guys, you can reach them from there easily. But uh, great convo so far. Stay with us, everybody. Stay with us, Mr. Raw Egg. We'll take a short break there, and we'll be right back. Thanks so much for checking out our interview with Raw Egg Nationalist. We are going to continue in part two right now over at RedEyesMembers.com, Odyssey.com slash at RedEyesTV or SubscribeStar.com slash RedEyes for our subscribers and members. In the second part of this uh, interview, we talk about the Neolithic Agricultural Revolution, kind of the first reset, as uh, Mr. Raw Egg mentioned. It's a frankly a bizarre development in some ways but it did happen it is what it is we talk about what potentially did go on at that point we also talk about food production in uh, general in the current age you know the dangers of gmos and genetic engineering they're patenting all these uh, you know plants and vegetables and things like that now uh, they're also going over into uh, the meat production uh, they're even using mrna on on pigs and cows now this is crazy how they're extending this we also talk about a, a new asset uh, class that the uh, stock exchanges are creating. They're doing a dry run right now with the New York Stock Exchange. But basically, they're seeking to uh, monetize and capitalize on nature in and of itself, uh, on the natural processes. It's uh, very bizarre. Also, we discuss how people are attacked for being basically far-right extremists uh, who are into fitness and healthy foods. Basically, we're all bigots. Now, this is basically this is a very bizarre step for them to take, to be honest. Uh, but it's clear that we are now the normal ones and that they are the mutants. And they kind of want to make sure that we know that. Uh, it's not at all negative for us. It's actually good that they're painting themselves into this corner. We also spent a good deal of time addressing what we should and what we can do also. Why are we not seeing a great reject and resistance on a mass scale yet? Well, maybe we never will. Maybe it's going to be down to a minority of strong, brave and resilient people to continue to carry on the fire of civilization as the current one crumbles. And I can't help to feel good riddance. Don't miss part two of our conversation with Raw Egg Nationalist. Join us over at RedEyesMembers.com. You can also sign up at Odyssey.com forward slash at TV or subscribestar.com slash red ice whatever you prefer it's only 10 bucks a month you can save a lot of money if you sign up for a longer subscription if you do a two-year one uh, you almost get uh, somewhere like 35 percent off do sign up support our work we are only here because of you we don't have any sponsors we don't have any huge deals with corporations we don't have angel investors or uh, venture capitalists coming in and supplying us with endless amounts of cash we are listener supported 100 percent if you want to see more if you want to help us grow please consider getting a membership for those of you who want to donate you can do that as well at redice.tv forward slash donate also want to say thank you today to our executive producers T. Lothrop Stoddard, V. Miller, Resin Revolt, Good Like Lap, Jake, Red Pill Rundown, Chalky Milk, French 47, Mark Smith, No One Jeeves, President Obunga, Mongoose, William Fox, 
Angry White Soccer Mom, The Second Wanderer, Operation Werewolf, The Ride Never Ends, Francis Parker Yockey, Dillbob, Girls Have Last Place Simp, Joseph Hart, Purple Haze, and JP. Thank you guys, we can't do it without you. Also thanks to our producers, Mr. Walker, 696, Johansson, Leroy Dumont, Snork Pup, Eyes Open, Mr. Lemry, Yurinu, Obadiah Hexwell, Single Action Army, and George Porge. Thank you guys, we appreciate all of you. If you want to get a membership tier that has uh, producer or executive producer credits associated with it, you can get that at RedEyesMembers.com or Odyssey or Subscribestar, whatever works for you. If you want to shout out at the end of the show, special thanks and a little bit more sway, I guess, over us as well. We'd love to have your uh, guest suggestions, topic suggestions and things like this uh, if you are an executive producer. Thank you for watching. Part two coming up right now after the break. We'll see you guys over there.